0: What scares the hell out of entrepreneurs more than anything? Legal exposure. That's why key driver of enterprise value number five is reducing your legal exposure. We've got the expert to help you do that on this edition of The Inside BS Show. Hey now, I'm Dave Lorenzo, I'm the godfather of growth, and that expert is none other than Nikki G. Nicola, this is it for you. This is your show. How are you?
1: I am fantastic. My favorite topic. (laughs)
0: Let's talk about legal exposure. So you and I, when we were doing the show prep, we found four specific areas that will help our friends who are entrepreneurs reduce their legal exposure so that they can drive enterprise value the first area we talked about was getting the basics right so tell us what are the basics and what do we need to do to get them right
1: sure so the basics for your business are going to be your contracts policies and procedures important to get that right from the start So, for example, with your contracts, I don't just mean one category of contracts. You likely have contracts with employees. You likely also have contracts with other third parties that you are doing business with. So with respect to employees, using that as an example, you want to make sure that whatever contract you are using one applies to your specific business. It's not just a generic form Two, it also is considering all federal and state laws and regulations that may apply to your business. Are you doing business, for example, in multiple different states? If you are, you need to make sure that your agreements are in compliance with the laws of each of those states where you have employees. With your business contracts, you also need to be thinking about, are these contracts specific to my business? Are they taking into consideration specific areas of risk, potential liability? Are those terms worked in a way that are favorable to my business? As your business continues to grow, you will certainly want to be thinking about that, updating them as you've been doing business a little bit longer to make sure that they continue to stay tight to protect you from exposure. The second area I mentioned were your policies. Your policies also need to be written in a way that is supporting compliance with laws and regulations. So you can't divorce the two. You don't wanna just write policies, this sounds like this is what we're going to do moving forward. You need to make sure that's also supporting the overall compliance with the laws and regulations that apply to your business, to make sure that you have something that is cohesive in all of your written documents that are governing what you are doing on a day-to-day basis. Finally, I mentioned practices. You want to make sure that the practices of those who are acting for the company, especially those who are in a managerial position for your company, are also acting in a way that is in compliance with laws and regulations so that they aren't creating exposure for the company as those who have the authority to act on behalf of the company. So when you put that all together, those are really the basics and the groundwork for what your company is doing on a day-to-day basis and why that is so important to make sure that you've put that in place right from the start. And also you've used a lawyer to help you do that.
0: I love it. And when I go into a business to help them grow their revenue, and there's something that I'm doing that overlaps with legal, one of the things I asked to do is I asked to see all the contracts. And typically these days they will have all the contracts in like an online folder, uh, maybe they'll put them in a data room, which somebody who's going to sell the business would put their contracts along with all their financial documents in uh, password protected, encrypted online data room. But everything, everything should be in that contract repository. And I'm talking about everything from your contract for the copy machine, right? If you have a contract to drop off bottled water at the office every month. All of those contracts, and I'm curious about your your feelings on this, Nicola. I think so many entrepreneurs will go out and they'll sign a contract for like bottled water for the break room in the office, not realizing it's a self-renewing contract, which could be with them for like 30 years if they, if they don't opt out in the specific way the contract dictates. Another thing that's even more onerous, I mean, because bottled water is gonna be what? Maybe 100 bucks, 200 bucks a month, so it's not gonna break the bank as far as the business goes, but let's take vehicles. I've seen entrepreneurs have a, an immediate need for a vehicle and they go out or they have their operations person go out and lease a van in the business's name without having legal counsel review the lease, thinking, ah, you know, it's a standard lease for a vehicle. What am I gonna do? It, you know, I gotta take the terms as they're given to me. All of that is negotiable, and some of those terms in there are not gonna be in the in favor of your business. So shouldn't a lawyer look at all the contracts, including the, the recurring water contract for the break room, as well as the office lease and the van lease and all that other stuff?
1: Absolutely. I actually just had this come up in the last few weeks. I, and, and this is where I see this happen in a way that can be really expensive is you've got these vendor contracts for some type of software that is expensive. It's, hi, it's hitting you on a monthly fee and you signed off on that contract, didn't really think about the terms that went into it. And my first question of course is, let me see the contract. And beyond that, it's, okay, well, what's the term? There was no term. And I, my reaction is, what do you mean there's no term to the contract? You, you, you have to be thinking about these things and working with a lawyer to review them before you sign off on them because it's not just an expense today. This could be something where you've signed up for a year's worth of service, and if you are able to get out of the contract, there may be a penalty to do so. So it, it's certainly good. It doesn't take that much time. It is not that expensive to protect you from having that exposure down the road.
0: I'll tell you a quick story that really illustrates this point. So a company I worked for purchased a hotel in New Jersey. And I don't want anybody to read into this, but we purchased a hotel in New Jersey and we're doing the due diligence on the hotel. And there was a contract in there with a vending company. Okay. And I looked around and I didn't see the vending machines in the hotel. So I go to the person who's the general manager and I said, look, you got a contract here for a vending company that's in with your contracts. And he said, yeah, 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 we terminated that there. uh, That shouldn't have been in there. We're no longer uh, obligated under that contract. So I said, okay, fine. You're no longer obligated. They go to close and it turns out the vending company had a lien on the property. And there was, that contract was, and this is, this is years and years and years ago, that contract was a self-renewing contract that had a very specific opt-out clause in it. And what happened was the people who owned the hotel said, we don't want your vending machines anymore. We're going to do our own vending machines. Come pick up your vending machines. And the vending company kept sending invoices to the hotel. And what did they do? They ignored the invoices because we don't have the vending machines here anymore, right? Seven years. (laughs) This went on for seven years. Seven years of invoices that were being sent out, and they had a revenue split. So here was the deal. The hotel was renting the vending machines. The company was filling the vending machines, and they would get a revenue split. And there was a a clause in the contract that there was a minimum— that the vending machines were going to do every month. And if the vending machines didn't do the minimum, they would split the overage. If the vending machines didn't do the minimum. The hotel owed the company the money that that was the minimum threshold. It wasn't a lot of money. It was something like $300 a month, but $300 times 12 times seven years that these people are getting the invoices, throwing them in the trash every month, right? So for this... What ended up in a you know in a seven million dollar asset sale it was a small hotel, but it, again, twenty five years ago, seven million dollar asset sale being held up by for you know for fifteen thousand dollars that this vending company had lien rights on the building for. First of all. Who's signing a contract giving a vending company lien rights on a building, okay? (laughs) Right? Who signed that? Second of all, who didn't read the termination clause? Just said, we're putting your machines on the back dock. I mean, this is the kind of thing. This is the reason why you got to have people reviewing those contracts. Can you imagine if you're going to sell something and the, the the asset sale is held up, because some, you know, a, a vendor or a builder or a contractor has lien rights on the property or on your business because, and it's, you know, it's called a mechanics lien. And the reason it's called a mechanics lien is because you, you get work done and a mechanic does it and you don't pay them. They get a mechanics lien and they can lien your property. This is why you have lawyers review the contracts. Exactly, This is exactly the reason why. Hey, Nikki G, did you know you can also get our show as an audio podcast?
1: Of course I know you can get the show as an audio podcast. I'm on it. But does our audience?
0: I don't know. So those of you who are watching on YouTube, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Just search up the Inside BS Show with The Godfather and Nikki G, and you'll find us right there. Click the follow button so that you never miss a show. Now, there's a couple of reasons why you're going to want to do that. Nikki G, tell them what the first reason is.
1: You get to ask us questions. That is exclusive to our podcast listeners.
0: Yeah, we only answer listener questions on the audio version of the podcast. We don't do it on video. So if you want to hear what everyone's thinking, or if you want to ask us a question, you got to download the audio podcast. The second reason, and my favorite reason, is because you can take us with you. You can have a little Nikki G in your pocket while you're working out in the gym, washing the dishes, or walking the dog. I love me some Nikki G in my pocket when I'm walking the dogs. I don't know about you, Nicola, but that's one of my favorite things to do.
1: Absolutely, take us with you.
0: After you watch this episode here on YouTube, go to wherever you get your podcasts, click the follow button, so we can go with you on your journey and you can ask us questions. We will see you, or more like hear you, there. All right, number two we talked about was identify high-risk areas. Identify high-risk areas. What does that mean, Nikki G?
1: That means you need to identify the high risk areas and minimize them where there may be exposure for your company. That's going to vary based upon the type of business that you are operating. So let me give you an example. I'll use, you know, a, a beauty retailer. So we've seen them, they're, they're all over. The, it's a huge, huge market. The cosmetics industry is in billions of dollars. So let's say a beauty retailer has a presence online and in stores beauty retailer has cosmetic products, has hair products. They are promoting those products online. They have product descriptions. Within those descriptions, let's say you see some, some products that say, you know, these are all natural or these are pure, meaning they don't have certain chemicals or other ingredients that could cause harm to the skin when they're put on the skin, or could cause other reactions. You have folks who are interested in those products. They go onto your website, purchase the products, put them in their cart. They go to actually complete the purchase, and they're entering their personal data, they're entering their credit card information that is now being processed through your website. Maybe they're a frequent shopper, so they save their credit card information there. So let me pause here. If this is your business, here are the high risk areas. Those advertisements I was describing, or the statements that that you are making with respect to particular products and what may be contained in them can open you up to false advertising claims, claims involving deception to consumers. The broader your consumer base, the greater exposure that you may have to potentially a class action if you've said something that is incorrect. The data I mentioned, because you are processing consumer data, including credit card information, and that's running through your website, you may open yourself up to exposure for cyber issues. What if there's a breach of your company's website? And now all that data may be at risk and may be exposed. So those are just two high risk areas for that type of business. Now, thinking about your own business, you need to be able to identify, well, what are the high risk areas for my business? Right? Are you operating a construction company? We have to worry about personal liability. Are you managing a hotel where you have to worry about someone falling, getting hurt in the hotel, you know, or you have, you know, other property claims you need to worry about. Maybe you're in an area where there's uh, potential for fires, potential for other natural disasters like hurricanes. So you need to be thinking about what are the high risk areas for my business. And I suggest working with a lawyer to do this. So once you identify them, then you can take steps in order to reduce that exposure. So with the beauty retailer, as the example, I would speak with them about what kind of insurance do you have in place? Have you had a lawyer review the particular descriptions that are up on the website? That's a great way to start. Make sure you're not making any false statements from the start, because if this ends up much further down the road, you could have significant potential liability and risk depending upon how long some of that information was up and how many people might have viewed it in that period of time. What do you think, Dave?
0: I think you have identified some of the really important risk areas. One of them for sure is separate and apart from what we're talking about here in the legal exposure section has its own area, and that's area number 10. It's the 10th uh, item that we're going to cover, and that's cybersecurity. We cover that when we talk about IT. But when it comes to those legal risks, the best thing you can do is have great counsel. If you don't have somebody in-house, have great outside counsel who can help you balance what the risks are with the the, the inherent nature of running a business, right? So, th- and this is where a, a lawyer like you comes in handy because most lawyers, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Nikki G, are going to give you guidance that will minimize the risk to the point where it's as close to zero as they can possibly get. Basically, wrap yourself in bubble wrap, never leave the house, that's what you should do. And that's the, that's the advice you're gonna get from the lawyer because they can't go wrong giving you that advice because that's the least amount of risk. But you have to be able to do business. So every business activity has some risk built into it. You need to connect with a lawyer that understands the nature of your business and can give you guidance based on an acceptable level of risk. And... This is this is a business decision. It's not a legal decision. It's the lawyer's job to lay out all the risks in front of you and then say, "Here's the spectrum of risk. If you want to be on the side of most risk and take that and make that business decision, then that's a business decision you have to make." Example, a business that is in the like a skydiving business, a, a skydiving lessons business, right? There's risk inherent in that. And people sign waivers all the time that say if you jump out of the plane and die, you're going to hold the skydiving lesson company harmless for that. But if the plane crashes, the skydiving company is liable for that because you're not signing a waiver, waving away your rights to sue if the plane you get in is defective. So that's a risk that's inherent in that business, right? So your, your lawyer has to give you the spectrum of risk, and then you got to make a decision on how you're going to operate based on that spectrum of risk. You want a more down to earth example. You, You know, we can go back to the hospitality industry again, right? And that's a pun, right? A down to earth example, skydiving. Ooh, Dave made a funny. Okay. So a real example, a real life example is you own a hotel and it's near an airport and to be competitive, you have to provide shuttle service right? That's a risk. You got human beings getting in a van driven by someone who's being paid slightly more than minimum wage, okay? There's risk involved in that. As a business owner in that business, you're running an airport hotel, you can't not have a van pickup service. You got to have a van, right? And the van has to be driven by somebody. And you're making your best effort to make sure those people are qualified and that they're sober and that they're drug-free every time they get in the van but there's risk associated with that. If you ask a lawyer, should I do this? And the lawyer would say, well, it's risky. Your best opportunity is to not offer van service. You're not gonna have any customers because nobody's gonna be able to get to the airport or from the airport to your hotel. So then the lawyer will say, okay, well then you have to take a certain amount of risk, get this type of insurance, do these types of checks on your employees. Basically, here's what a reasonably prudent person would do. And if you follow these guidelines, you're doing everything you can to minimize your risk, right? So spend a second, Nicola, and talk about the, that whole spectrum of risk and how your lawyer should inform your decision, your lawyer shouldn't be making your decision.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I like to offer to clients, Dave, what I describe as kind of like the risk profile, it's low, medium, and high. So you describe a business to me, and I'll use your, your shuttle example, the hotel, and I will give you, here is the highest risk option, Here's the medium, here's the low, and it is your decision. It's always the client's decision because it is a business decision. And I'm really glad you pointed that out. Our job is not to make those decisions for you. It is to provide you with informed advice about the levels of risk and if there are other options and then allow you to make the decision based upon that full and complete information so that you appreciate what risk you're taking when you make that decision and they will make that call. But that's really what we're, we're here to do is to help guide you in that regard, help to minimize your risk and exposure depending upon which option you choose. Right. We've told you this is the high risk option. You're going to run the van. You're going to have somebody driving it every day. You might be driving it at odd hours where people might be, you know, tend- there's a tendency to be uh, you know, a little bit more tired. You have to make sure that you're accounting for that. So we will give you those options and and you'll make that decision. But if you don't have somebody who can help you get through that process, then not knowing is far worse than, than understanding what risk you're taking in making the decision. What you don't know can crush your business. So if you haven't planned for that risk, you haven't, thought about how you're going to vet your drivers, make sure that you can confirm that, you know, they're not under the influence of anything when they're driving, make sure you've trained them in a way that is proper and appropriate for your business to make sure that you're, again, minimizing the risk of what they're doing when they're out on the highway, you know you're a good driver, you have put insurance in place to make sure, gosh forbid, if there's an accident with that vehicle and customers are on that vehicle, that you've taken the proper precautions to make sure that you are going to be protected. If you haven't considered any of that, you could really set yourself up for a significant loss. And if that happens, that can end up and depending on the size, of your business could end up ending your business. It takes one lawsuit and this is coming from my experience. It can take one lawsuit that could end your business depending upon the size of it. So it's just not worth it. That's why we're, we're imparting on you, our audience to, Hire lawyers and make sure you have these pieces in place as you're going through this process, because I assure you, the expense that you're going to incur now is far less in hiring a lawyer to put these steps in place than it could be if you have one major issue down the road.
0: Now, you mentioned insurance, so let's talk about that because that's (laughs) point number three, and that's business insurance. Tell us about business insurance and how that plays into legal exposure.
1: I love business insurance. I am not an insurance broker, but let me tell you what, it can really save your business in so many ways and make sure that you're protected so you have less worry as you're going about your business. So, for example, there's so many different types of policies out there um, that are applicable to businesses. So it will really depend upon you know what you're doing. But generally speaking, I'll give you some examples. There's, you know, commercial general liability policies which protect against you know personal injury. For example you have people the public who are coming onto a property you need to be thinking about having liability in place in case someone gets hurt on your property um, you have property insurance that will also protect your business in the event there's some kind of issue a fire a hurricane um, anything that can impact the property and cause a significant loss you've got cyber insurance which we'll have a whole show talking about cyber but that's really to protect against any sort of like data breach that may occur um, that can cause significant damage to your business and also lead to potentially further liability um, associated with those individuals whose information might have been exposed if you had a breach. So those are just a few examples. And I will give you an example as to why insurance is so important in the business world. So I will use an example of a company that you know I'm familiar with. It's a, it's a small beauty salon that ended up getting um, hit with a claim associated with the service that was performed it was, it, it, and the allegations were, you know, that there's like second degree burns associated with the service that was performed. And this person was claiming it was a personal injury claim claiming a you know, significant sum of money associated with it. And it turns out the business didn't have insurance in place during that period. So this is, this is always the first question I ask for anyone when I, when I'm contacted about a lawsuit, what kind of insurance do you have in place? Let me see the policies. Because you need to know what's going to be covered and what is not. So in that situation with the, the beauty salon that didn't have insurance in place, that means there is no potential way to recover from an insurance policy associated with that lawsuit and that pending claim if you don't have it in place at the time. No way. It didn't matter if you had it in place prior to that. That's what happened there. The policy had lapsed. They didn't renew the insurance, and there was a gap. So of course, the occurrence, the single occurrence in the entire history of that business occurred during that policy gap. That means that that business is now paying for all of the legal expenses associated with that case and going to defend against it in hopes that they're not going to end up with a judgment against that, that in that case would have actually closed the business, you know, had that happen. So you need to make sure you have these policies in place to protect against that, because even if you've been operating your business for years, you haven't had a a claim, it doesn't mean you can't have one. And especially if you're not taking the steps to make sure that you are minimizing your exposure, you're susceptible to one at any given moment. And it can be significant. It can be, you know, you have a personal injury claim. That's, I mean, it could be in the millions, depending upon the the severity of the injury. Or let's say you're you're, you're operating a business that is opening up to consumers. That opens you up to potential class actions. Like if someone has an an injury associated with something that occurred in your business, maybe you're a, a products manufacturer, Um, Or you're a product distributor and and someone's injured by a product um, and, and in a way that that many others can have a similar type of injury Now you're susceptible to class actions and those can be significant, you know millions hundreds of millions of dollars You know, I've really seen how that can increase exponentially, but if you have insurance in place That is the first place that we are going to look to help your business. It is there to protect your business It helps you hedge against you know, a potential judgment. It's, it's gonna help you cover that if you have the right insurance in place. It's also going to help you with your legal expenses as you go through the case. And that's really important because oftentimes policies will actually cover your lawyer's fees that you're paying during the case. So it's really important you need to know what types of insurance you need and to make sure you're sufficiently covered in that regard. So when something does happen, you have a place to look and you can have that comfort in knowing that you have a way to ease those expenses for your business.
0: I love it, yeah, two things to think about that I wanna highlight there. Directors and officers, liability insurance, as you get bigger, you're going to have people who are helping you make decisions, and those folks are going to be held personally responsible for some of those decisions, so you need to uh, make sure that you have them covered. The fancy word for it is indemnification. So you want to make sure that you have some sort of insurance to cover everyone, even people who are directors and officers. And the second thing is there are some things that are going to be excluded from your general liability policy that you need to make sure you get coverage for. So, for example, if you do events that are off-site, Your general liability policy will cover some of your liability, but you also want to get specific event insurance. So, for example, if you're running uh, an event that's a business development event or if you're running an event where people pay to participate, and there's some sort of activity, or you know, a, a pandemic breaks out. Not a pandemic, because that would be a force majeure. But if there's if there's some sort of issue that happens in your community, and people are unable to get to the event that day, and you have a mass amount of refunds that ends up making the event go underwater, so that you're going to lose money on the event, you can get event insurance that will protect you. For that, if you have a, a specific, uh, you know, event that you're doing where you're doing a giveaway and somebody gets a hole in one, you're going to give them a car. You're not going to just take a chance that nobody's going to get a hole in one because it's highly unlikely. You're going to pay a couple of bucks for insurance so that if somebody does get the hole in one, the insurance <laughs> buys them the car. You don't buy them the car. There's insurance out there for everything, and what you need to decide is is this some type of a risk that I don't want my business to handle and I'll use the insurance to handle it? So in the case of like an offsite event or something that you're doing that's out of the ordinary for your business, I guarantee you there's an insurance product out there that will help you offset some of that risk. And it's just a decision, a business decision as to whether it's worth it or not. So, you know, there's a great example of this is if you're like, let's say you're a fight promoter. You're there. There are these regional MMA fights. My son used to participate in them all the time. And the tickets are not cheap. The tickets are like 50 bucks each for people to come watch, you know, amateurs fight. Well, what happens if the power goes out and you're unable to hold the fight and you got to refund everybody their money because the venue's not available for six months? Do you really wanna come out of pocket for all that money that you've spent probably paying people and doing, making all your commitments? No, you get insurance for that. So the insurance refunds everybody the money to the extent that those people are not gonna show up at a future event. Let's say you're doing an event where you're taking all your clients on a cruise and you've put a huge deposit down on the cruise to celebrate or you're doing your, your annual sales conference and you're taking all of your top salespeople, 100 people on a cruise you put a deposit down and what happens you're uh, an issue. There's an issue with the cruise ship and they don't want to refund your money. They want to put you on a cruise during a time that's your busiest season and you can't make it. So you're going to be out that money if you don't do it. Well, you have insurance for that, that covers that. So there's specialty insurance that you can get for things that are out of the ordinary, always 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 ask your lawyer or if you have a really good insurance broker ask them if there's coverage for that i've even seen people get coverage for things that were not there were not policies for before these folks had to you know had to figure out how to get because it was such a high risk thing and the insurance underwriters will figure out what the risk is and they'll figure out what you need to pay them for the likelihood that something bad will happen so Always keep your options open when it comes to insurance. I uh, I, I also really like insurance because it could save it could save your hide. The third thing I'll, I'll mention is like advertising insurance is I think is essential. You need to make sure in your general liability policy that advertising is covered. If it's not, you need to get a specific policy to cover advertising insurance because if you make a claim in your advertising that ends up infringing on someone else's trademark or uh, copyright or uh, unintentionally is defamatory in some way and you're sued, your advertising insurance will cover the cost of that as long as it's not done out of negligence or intentional harm. Uh, I've seen it happen where people put ads out there and the ad infringes on somebody else's ad and that other person doesn't even send a cease and desist letter, the next thing you know you're being served with a lawsuit that's in the tens of millions of dollars because you've infringed on their trademark in a way that they are claiming is permanently damaging them. And you need the insurance to cover your legal costs to, to get you out of that because that's gonna be a huge problem for you and it was done unintentionally. Any thoughts yeah. on those before we move on?
1: Great, great examples, Dave. So let me just wrap up with with this on on this point we're discussing so to be able to identify the right types of insurance don't just rely on an insurance agent yes you need to work with them but when you you identify for example I, i need to make sure i have liability insurance i'll just take a liability policy no make sure you are talking about what your business does you know your business best So if you have a lot of advertising that you're putting out there, make sure to mention this Write down your your bullet point list before speaking to an insurance agent. So you can say, all right, these are the things my business does a lot of. Let me make sure I mention that in case I need to be discussing that in the context of an additional policy to make sure that I am fully covered. So that's going to really come from you. So just be thoughtful about that in advance. You're not just putting some policies in place because I've seen this too, Dave gaps where it mattered the most because they didn't ask the right questions on the front end to make sure that those things were covered and you can't blame the agent in the end you've got to be able to know what policies you need so this really I think dovetails nicely into the final point that I'd like to discuss which is hiring a good lawyer so this is really an overall point you have got to have counsel through this process and I mentioned this before and it's it's important enough I'm going to mention it again the expense you will incur to work with a lawyer to put all of these pieces in place is going to be far less than the potential exposure and ultimately liability that can incur as a consequence of not putting these pieces in place the right way. Make sure you have good counsel. If it doesn't mean you have to have someone in-house. I mean, great, if you can, you can afford to have someone who's working in-house to the company, that's excellent, but you don't necessarily need that in all circumstances. And if you don't, just make sure you have good lawyers that you work with who are outside counsel to you who can provide the right advice. It's also important that you're not just using them you know when everything's getting put in place it's very important that you're revisiting your policies and procedures making sure that those as well as your contracts are up to date laws are constantly changing i mean you've seen examples in the news i'm sure where you've had Um, you know, the the National Labor Relations Board coming out with statements about severance agreements and making rules that are going to impact existing agreements. You have, you know, the Federal Trade Commission is proposing to ban non-competes that can impact your agreements at any given day that you have in place with employees right now. And if you have a huge workforce, you potentially have every one of those agreements that are now at risk of being overturned, you know, if if that becomes that proposed rule, in fact, passes and in and we don't know what that might look like. So you've got to be in communications with your lawyers to understand how that's going to impact what's going on in your business and what you may need to update. Get out in front of it. You do that with good counsel. And then finally, you've got to make sure that you're performing regular risk assessments. So we talked about putting insurance in place. We talked about ways to reduce your exposure, perform regular risk, risk assessments with your lawyers as well to make sure that you know any area you had exposure in that you identified before as something that you need to focus on You continue to focus on it fine-tuning it and identifying potential new areas of exposure so it's an ongoing process
0: i love it this has been really really comprehensive and it's no surprise because we've got the entrepreneurial lawyer with us today That is your legal exposure segment. It is the fifth key driver of business value. Take what we've discussed today, distill it down, compare it to what's going on in your business. And you don't have to do all of this at one time. You can do it over time if you've got time before you need to get a business valuation. But legal risk is one of the huge areas of opportunity for people to reduce your risk and increase the value of your business. Key driver number five in our 10 part series on the key drivers of enterprise value. My name is Dave Lorenzo. I'm the godfather of growth. We'll be back here again tomorrow with key driver number six. And I'll be here with the entrepreneurial lawyer and her name is? Nikki G. That's right. We'll see you back here again tomorrow, folks. Thanks for joining us today.